Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. My next guest here on West Coast Live today, it's, I guess it's appropriate because we're here at the end of the pier, right on one of the great estuaries of the world, the San Francisco Bay. There are fishermen out back, and our next guest has spent a good part of her life four decades at least, exploring deep under the sea. There was a deep intake of breath when I mentioned four decades, but <laughs> she's had the longest sustained dive into the sea, diving to 1,250 feet below the surface. She's lived underwater for weeks at a time. She invents and develops submarines and cruises around underneath the water. She's had several species of marine life named for her. Will you please welcome oceanographer, explorer, adventurer, Sylvia Earle to West Coast Live. Thanks very much. Great to be here. So you gasped at 40 years. I mean, how much time of, of your life do you think you've actually spent immersed in water? You're not counting in the shower. Uh, probably not. Well, about, uh, about 6,000 hours, I suppose, in submarines and diving and living underwater and sometimes snorkeling like you. Have you, have you noticed a difference in your skin because of all that immersion in the water? You, you got a dish pan body, <laughs> but it's really good for you. For, uh, for some time, you were also the uh, chief scientist for NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Got that right. And you, uh, you've written a book called Sea Change about what you have seen over this time go on under the seas. What, what is, is going on in the seas? Well, the oceans are changing. And the remarkable thing is, of course, change is inherent in planet Earth in, in life, but the most remarkable thing is that in our lifetime, even if you're 10 years old, it's possible to perceive change at an accelerated rate, changes that we are causing, we human beings. And it's not likely that we're going to really like many of the changes that have occurred to the oceans because of what we've been putting into the sea and because of what we're taking out. We're taking too much out and we're putting too much of the wrong kind of stuff in the, in the oceans. By taking too much out, you mean fish for food? Absolutely. Uh, not just for food. A lot of fish are taken incidentally in the process of catching, well, shrimp or food fish. The, the bycatch, so-called, the incidental catch, can sometimes far exceed the amount that is deliberately targeted. And it's no new news now, although it's been predicted for some time, but the fish in the oceans are in trouble. And many creatures that we thought were never run out, infinite in terms of their abundance and, and uh, that we couldn't possibly take too many, are suddenly undergoing tremendous population crashes. And it's, it's um, happening in our lifetime. And we're, we're causing it. We human beings are the, the, the reason would, decline. When you go under the sea in, in one of your subs or in one of your suits, I mean, can you actually see the difference around you over, over time? I mean, not just changing patterns of coral life, but are there less fish around that you can see? Well, I spent my early years in Florida in a place that once legitimately could be called clear water. <laughs> not anymore, in part because of what we've been doing as you know, vigorous species that we are. We've been changing the land and the sea and the, the character of the water itself. So it's no longer clear in many places. And of course, it, in fact, anybody who 
is alive at this point in time, land or sea, can perceive changes in the landscape, changes in the seascape. Um, we are increasingly becoming aware of our dependence on a healthy planet and the need for us to become smarter about what we do and what we don't do to take care of the place that takes care of us. When you, uh, when you go to a restaurant, uh, do you order fish? Not anybody I know personally. <laughs> are, are there fish that you would, you would avoid because of uh, toxic heavy metals and so forth that are in the water? Well, it's really become a problem. I'm very fond of seafood. I grew up in a family that has, uh, well, in New Jersey, we used to go crabbing in the summer. People go crabbing here and catch fish just to have for the table. Fish we would catch ourselves, or the fish man would come by and sell fresh fish. But um, at the present time, because of the state of the oceans, it's increasingly a worry about going to a restaurant or to a market. You really don't know what it is that you're, you're eating anymore. Just as we are what we eat, a fish is what a fish eats. <laughs> and where fish swim these days, um, you know, in many cases at least, we, we simply don't have the same kind of safeguards about wild-caught seafood that we do about farm-raised food of various sorts. So it's a risk. Do you, have, do you have any hesitation about diving into the sea anymore yourself because of, of what's in the water? Hmm, good question. No, I don't. <laughs> I really enjoy, I don't drink the water <laughs> in the ocean. <laughs> but I, just one other point about the, the creatures that live there naturally. Uh, top of the line predators, just think about the fish that you normally find at a restaurant. Most of them are top of the line carnivores, like like lions and tigers and hawks and owls because it's a fish-eat-fish -fish world out there. And a tuna fish, for example, let's say an Atlantic bluefin tuna, may be 10 years old before it's captured. For every pound of tuna fish that winds up on your plate, it has taken about 50 or sometimes 100,000 pounds of plants to make that little bit of tuna fish. Whereas something that is cultivated and taken at a very young stage of its growth, like a chicken, or a catfish that's farmed, or a cow. Um, maybe 20 pounds of grain to make a pound of beef, or two or three pounds of grain to make a pound of chicken. So there's a great cost to some of these top-of-the-line predators that we take for granted mm -hmm. that we should go out and munch upon. Even though presumably those uh, tuna have been munching tons of grass all their life for centuries. Well, they've been eating fish that have been eating fish that have been eating fish that way down at the bottom of the food chain they get to plants. But it, it's partly a matter of age, but it's also a matter of lifestyle. I mean, if we, if we tried to make a living and feed ourselves by eating terrestrial carnivores, we wouldn't get very far. <laughs> When you, uh, you've designed different submersibles, you call them little submarines. Uh, how many people can go in these devices? Well, it depends on the submarine. I've had the fun of using a Japanese submersible that takes three people, two pilots and one observer, and I was the lucky one, <laughs> to go to more than, than uh, four miles beneath the surface to 12,000 plus feet. What, what is it? Is, is there any color at that elevator? Uh, do you call it elevation? Depth. <laughs> depth, I guess. Do you, have, do you have any color at that depth? Are there, are there lights? Uh, any, is there a grayness? What, is the, what do you see? 
Well, as you descend into the ocean, it really is a never-never kind of experience. Of course, in the upper layers, there is light, but it's, it's dark everywhere in the ocean when you get to a depth of about a thousand feet. And if you don't know to expect that you're likely to see something that look like stars in the ocean, you're likely to be surprised, but there is in the ocean, all over the world, the phenomenon known as bioluminescence. The creatures glow with their own firefly kind of light. And it, it is like diving into a, a starry sky. <laughs> but the, all those little lights are alive. And, that, and that's one of the wonderful things about going into the ocean as opposed to going up in the sky, although that too is terrific. And that is that you're diving into the history of life on this planet, the great diversity of creatures in whose lives the history of life is, is still there, it's still written. You can find creatures with a history that goes back half a billion years and they're still swimming around or crawling around and the greatest diversity on the planet in terms of who's who and what's what about life on Earth is out there in the ocean. And we just have to go check it out. When, when you're at that depth, do you ever fear for your safety? Not nearly so much as I did as I got on the freeway coming over here today from <laughs> Oakland. <laughs> Do you even think about uh, the dangers when you go into uh, depths? Oh, I think about it, I suppose, but mostly you take care of that on the surface. At Deep Ocean Engineering, the little company that I had the fun of starting some years ago where we build little submarines and underwater robots, a whole team of engineers spend a lot of time going over all the things that possibly could go wrong. And then when you finally have the fun of stepping into a little deep rover submersible, you think, well, those guys have spent years contemplating all the possibilities about things that'll go wrong. I'm going to just get in and enjoy this. And so that's the spirit in which, but it's important to know what can go wrong. Just like when you're driving a car, you know there, there are do's and don'ts. You don't make sharp right turns when you're traveling 70 miles an hour. And there are things you don't do when you're diving. Whether, you what, well, what would be a, a don't do in a submersible? Don't come up under a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Don't open the hatch underwater. <laughs> I, I like the one about not, don't come up under a boat. I mean, that's one that you might not necessarily think about. Well, I have thought about it yeah. because sometimes you're not really in control of your ascent when you change the ballast so that you become lighter than water and start your ascent. Um, you don't know exactly where you're going to <laughs> come up. What, what species are named after you? Oh, several plants, a little sea urchin. Um. <laughs> what, what's the sea urchin? Describe the sea urchin uh, with the Linnaean binomial. The sea urchin is called Diadema sylvie, and it's a little creature with long black spines, and it lives on a little island offshore from Chile, an island called San Felix. And I found this little creature years ago when I was aboard an expedition, uh, a young aspiring oceanographer, <laughs> and a gentleman at Harvard decided, since I found the little creature, that I would be honored with the name. So I've had the fun of naming some things myself about people I care about who are involved with this. My, one of my favorites is a little plant called, well, let me describe it first. <laughs> it's a little plant that has a stalk and then a spray of branches. It looks like a little turned inside out umbrella. And I wanted to name this after my major professor at Duke University, Harold Hum but how to do that so that you could also describe the plant 
on a brainstorming session with some fellow students at Duke University years ago. The name suddenly magically appeared. It was Humbrella. <laughs> <laughs> Sylvia Earle, who's been having fun under the sea for, uh, for many decades, and uh, if you have a chance to hear her speak, uh, you're lucky she's giving an illustrated talk at the Oakland Museum at 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon at the Oakland Museum. And thank you very much for being a guest here on our anniversary aquatic uh, show and, and volunteering to work the uh, aquaphone as well. Well, and happy birthday. I love your red shoes. I wish I had flippers like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll talk to the manufacturers so we can get you a custom pair. Great idea. Thank you. Dr. Sylvia Earle. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.